Good morning. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we have heard your living word spoken. And now we would pray that you would open our ears to hear the sense of what these scriptures are saying to us and open our hearts and our spirits to receive it and be transformed by it. And may your words not come back empty to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this week as we catch up with Joshua and the Israelites, we're catching up with them after the destruction of Jericho. And what I would like to do is actually go back to the end of chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, open them to Joshua 6 and 7. That's where we'll be camping out together. And what we hear in that last verse of chapter 6 is, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. So the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame spread throughout the land. Now, friends, you would think with the kind of success that Joshua and the Israelites had at Jericho, that that would mean that victory after victory after victory would continue to occur, correct? However, as we move into chapter 7, the first verse there begins with a little word. It's a conjunction, taking you back to your English days. And this conjunction is the word but. And this word serves to alert us of an unexpected development. Something's about to happen that we really didn't expect. Verse 1, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things, Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. You see, after the Lord had instructed Joshua to attack Jericho, to burn it to the ground, and not save anything except Rahab and Rahab's family, he also told Joshua to take the silver and the gold and place it in God's treasury. The silver and the gold is what Achan stole. And that's what angered God. It's interesting here, for me at least, I don't know if it is for you, that there is no mention at the beginning of this chapter that Joshua, nor the Israelites, had gone to God in prayer, asking for God's guidance in what they should do next before they faced this next challenge. In fact, in verse 2 we read, that Joshua just says to his men, go up and spy out the region. No mention about God here. Listen to what they came back and said to Joshua. Listen closely 
When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against I. Send only two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. (laughs) So to use modern words, it's kind of like, Joshua, we got this. We got it. After Jericho, little I, piece of cake. We don't even need all our men to do this. No worries. So yet again, no praying to God. How do we do this? Do we do it? When we do it? What's the battle plan? And here it comes again in verse 4. That tiny little conjunction. That word, but. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They were running for the hills. Friends, The thrill of victory at Jericho was very, very quickly followed by the agony of defeat at I. You know, going from victory to defeat happens everywhere, even in our modern times. And I ran across an article this last week that I want to share some excerpts from you. But first, I want to ask a question. And I'm going to ask for a raise of hands here because we've got some young people here and some not not as young, I would say. Who remembers the phrase, a Kodak moment? Raise your hand. All right. There's a few. Well, you know, back in the day, so to speak, a Kodak moment meant that there was something that was worth saving and savoring. But in today's language, if you heard Kodak (laughs) in particular, particularly if you were in corporate America and an executive, it would stand aside a warning, a warning to stand up and respond when disruptive developments encroach on your marketplace. Given the fact that Kodak's core business was selling film, it's not hard to see that in those last decades of that company proved challenging. They went bankrupt in 2012. And while they came out of bankruptcy as a much smaller company, it was never the same. Cameras went digital And then the cameras disappeared, as we know, into cell phones. And then people went from printing pictures to posting them online. An easy explanation for Kodak's downfall, if you will, is that they were so blinded by their past success, they became complacent, if you will, and they completely missed what was coming straight at them with digital technology. Doing something and doing something right 
are different things. Doing something and doing something right are different things. That was the problem with Kodak because as people did begin dealing with photos differently, posting them on social media, I don't know about you, but I've even got mobile phone apps on my phone now, and that came about. Kodak totally missed that. Kodak remains a very sad story of potential lost because the potential they had was they had the money and they had the talent to make this transition to the digital world. Instead, Kodak ended up the victim of the aftershocks of a disruptive change in the marketplace. Kodak's story reminds us that no amount of victory in the past will ensure a victory in the future. Joshua and the Israelites had to learn that after Jericho, right? And we have to learn that too. As I was thinking about putting this message together, I started thinking about a time in my life that things were really going well. <laughs> and for me, it was the 1980s. Because at the beginning of the 1980s, I went to work for a company then known as Policy Management Systems. I loved my job. I loved the career that I had there. Her, um, uh, Tyler and Angie were little at the time. We were raising them, taking great vacations. Uh, Mike and I, it was just a great, great decade for us. And you've probably had seasons like that too. But here comes the conjunction, but. At the end of that decade, in 1989, my daddy took sick. And that whole year, he continued to decline in his health with his heart. And around the end of October, 1st of November, we knew that daddy wasn't going to be with us much longer. And I got to tell you, balancing PMSC and my career and travel and all of that and spending time with my daddy who I loved from the depths of who I was became a great challenge for me. Mid-December, daddy died. And within two weeks, my husband Mike was on a plane going to the Gulf War. I shouted out to God. My faith was rocked. God, what are you doing to me here? What are you doing to me now? But something happened in my spiritual life too, you see. I realized that I had gotten complacent. All those good years in the 80s, having a good time, I had actually drifted somewhat from my walk with the Lord. I wasn't as close to him as I had been. I knew I needed the Lord at that moment. I knew I needed to draw closer to him, so I surrendered. I surrendered like I never had before in my life. And I, along with my children, sat in front of the TV, <laughs> me with grief in my heart for my daddy's death, 
but actually watching on live TV at times, Scud missiles go up and land somewhere. Wondering, live TV, would one of those hit my husband's camp? Would he become a casualty of the Gulf War? In staying close to the Lord, in Scripture and in prayer, it was a storm indeed. It was an I, A-I, but in drawing close to the Lord, although I would never want two things like that to hit me at once, oh, but oh, (laughs) joy, joy, joy with the Lord and that relationship, if that makes sense. I've never felt closer, never, than I was at that time. So very desirable. The truth is, friends, though, if I'm honest with you, and if you're honest with yourselves, is that life has an ebb and flow to it in our faith as well. We have those seasons that things are just kind of rocking along. We get a little bit complacent. We don't go to the Lord in prayer as often. Maybe we skip some times of doing our devotion. We need to watch out for that because what happens is with that complacency, pride will enter in. Self-sufficiency will enter in. Proverbs, the 16th chapter and the 18th verse puts it this way. Pride leads to destruction, and a proud attitude brings ruin. You've probably heard it this way, pride comes before the fall. Pride often leads to compromise, and compromise leads to sin. And my friends, there are no gray areas of sin. A sin is a sin is a sin. I'm challenged by what Romans, the sixth chapter and the twelfth verse says. It really hit me this time. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. I got to confess here. Thinking about my mortal body here, okay? Phase again. Getting real with you. (laughs) For this last year, maybe a tad over, I haven't been good to my mortal body. Do you feel it out there? Around the fall of 2016, I was doing really pretty well. I was walking, a lot of it at Duke. But I was doing a lot of walking, I was eating right, and I I really, you know, my body was reacting positive to that. But, that little conjunction again, that success gradually, almost unnoticeably, creeped in and caused me to come complacent. And so, I started doing this self-talk. You ever do some self-talk? And the self-talk went like this for me. Well, I think I'm going to skip working out this morning. I'm going to sleep in. 
I'll get up tomorrow and get right back into my regimen of walking. So there, there was the exercise, and one day led to the other. The other self-talk was, so easy, Faye, just to pull into rushes. I love their fried chicken. It's quick. It's good. So that'd be lunch. I'd be headed to the hospital or coming back early morning surgeries, right? Hungry. Hunger pains. So easy to pull in. To Bojangles or Hardee's. Nothing like that cathead biscuit with a little sausage or steak in it. My mouth's watering. In fact, Nick... You know, he's, he's got his battle too, but he was sitting right here with me this morning, and I was hungry because I never eat much before I give the message, and he said, uh, my wife and the kids went to Bojangles, Faye, this morning to get some of those bow biscuits. I said, you could have gone all morning without saying that. My mouth started watering for the chicken. Well, what I need to do, and maybe you need to do this too, is recreate that tape that runs in my head that tells me it's okay to sleep in, it's okay to pull into Rushes or Hardee's or Bojangles and get back to taking care of myself. We all need to change that self-talk because it's lies. It's lies. It's not the truth. And that's the way Satan, the evil one, infiltrates our life. No, there are no gray areas of sin. A sin is a sin is a sin. Maybe it's not food for you or someone in your family or someone you know. Maybe it's something else. Let me just go through a few things. It starts insignificant. A flirt in the office. Just a little flirt. That's nothing. And then a flirt leads to another flirt and some significant flirting. And before you know it, you're in an affair. It's just a pill. Maybe the doctor prescribed it. And when you pop that pill, you get a feeling of euphoria that you say, well, <laughs> yeah, it killed the pain, but it did something else too. I think I'll take another one. Or maybe it's a drink that just drowns out something you're going through. Or maybe you go in your office and you close your door and you get on the computer and you start looking at some pornography and you're not hurting anybody else. It's just you. A sin is a sin, is a sin. There's no gray area of sin. In our scripture, Achan stole the silver and the gold from God's treasury. In his mind, we don't know this, but we can speculate, he could say that this is justifiable, and here's why. I was a part of the, the group that went and dest destroyed Jericho, I'm due some booty. <laughs> I'm due a little bit of the spoil. 
Nobody will miss it. So he stole it. But you see, his sin had an impact on the entire community. God viewed the nation of Israel as a unit. What one did was viewed as a sin for the whole nation. And God's anger burned against the Israelites. That was in verse 1 of chapter 7. We can learn something from that, my friends. We know it, but we need to be reminded of it. One believer's sin does impact others. One believer's sin does impact others. Because you see, that sin, whatever it is, can cause financial failure, broken relationships. That infidelity of one spouse can break up a marriage. The verses from Joshua teach us some things about the consequences of sin in the life of God's people. Here's what the Israelites lost sight of. Number one, Jericho was God's victory, not theirs. They were victorious because they followed God's instructions at Jericho to the T. The battle plan was God's and not theirs. Not so when they attacked I. It was all their battle plan, all their ideas. The second thing they lost sight of is their need to sit with the Lord, sit with him first before facing the next challenge. As they planned to attack the little town of Ai, you know, they didn't even bother to go to the Lord at all. And then the third thing that they lost sight of is where their confidence came from. <laughs> that was evident in the scripture. When they went to battle with this little town, I, depending on their own strength and their own ideas about what to do, failing miserably, they lost their confidence and they ran for the hills. The great theologian Soren Kierkegaard puts it this way, the sense of human adequacy is the primary barrier to genuine faith, whether expressed as confidence in science, moral progress, or military might, the human feeling of self-reliance distances a person from his or her creator. Aiken was someone who acted as though the human power had won a battle and thus denied his dependence on God. This human, inadequ this human adequacy continued as Joshua and his people prepared for battle with I. How often do we operate like that within our own strength, within our own over-self-confidence? We sin. We have failures. But let me say this. We are human. And when we have those sins and those failures, I would offer to us that we can learn much. In fact, 
much more from our failures than we can our successes. I don't know about you, it's true for me, but when I make mistakes related to anything in life, I don't forget that. I don't forget it. I remember it and try not to do it again. So there's hope for us in the future, isn't there? That's the good news. I would send you, not now, because I want you to stay with me, but sometime either later today or this week, would you read Joshua the eighth chapter, please? At the beginning of Joshua, eighth chapter, verse one, here's what the Lord said. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And the Lord went on to tell Joshua to get all his men and to go back to Ai. Because this time, they were going to be successful because God was putting the plan together and God was going to be with them. That proves, my friends, that a defeat in the past does not mean that you won't have victory in the future. A defeat in the past does not mean that you won't have victory in the future. I've told many of you I love sports, watch them a good bit on TV, can't wait for the Olympics to start. At the 1988 Olympics that were held in Calgary, Canada, Dan Jansen, who had won the World Sprint Championship a week earlier, was the favored young man to win the gold medal in both the 500-meter and the 1,000-meter speed skating. However, on the day of his first race, February 14th, he learned that his 27-year-old sister Jane, who had been instrumental in him even being a speed skater, died of leukemia. Jansen's family went on to encourage him to race later that day. However, seconds into his race, Jansen slipped and he fell. Several days later, he competed in the 1,000-meter race, and after a record-breaking start, he fell again. Can't you just see the anguish on this young man's face? Oh, how disappointed he was. Now, at the 1992 Olympics in Albertville, France, he again went home disappointed, finishing fourth in the 500 meters and 26th in the 1,000 meters. But despite his heartbreak, in fact, he was known as the heartbreak kid, he remained a top competitor and was the first man to break 36 seconds in the 500 meters. At the next Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway, Jansen finished a disappointing eighth in the 500 meters. And here he thought his chances of ever winning an Olympic gold medal were over. However, 
On February the 18th, he finished the 1,000 meters, winning the only gold medal he would ever win in his life. And in that race, he set a brand new world record. In what became a memorable Olympic moment, I saw it. I was there watching it on TV. Jansen took a victory lap around the ice, carrying his young baby daughter, who he named Jane, after his sister, who had died. Now, later that year, Jansen announced his retirement from competitive speed skating. But, here comes that but again. (laughs) He went on to establish the Dan Jansen Foundation, which funds leukemia research. I wanted to share that story with you because you see, Dan Jansen lived by the fact that his past defeats over a 10-year period, I think it was, did not mean that he would not be victorious in the future. It took a while but he was victorious. I have a question for you. Where do you find yourself today? Where are you in your spiritual life? Have you become complacent because times are good? Or are you going through something? Do you need a breakthrough? Do you need to go from complacency to commitment or complacency to recommitment? It's been said that we're either headed into a storm, we're in a storm, or we're coming out of a storm. It's life. I can't tell you how much time's in between those things. But here's what I do know. (laughs) I'm old enough to know this now. God has a great plan for you, for each and every one of you, and he's never going to leave you or forsake you if you'll please, please just stay close to him. Philippians 1 and 6 says it this way, my friends. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Here's a question. Do you believe that scripture? Do you believe it? And if so, what are you going to do day in and day out not to lose sight of that fact and never lose sight of the fact that God doesn't want you to be afraid that he's going to be with you and that he has good plans for you? Back in 1989... When Daddy died and Mike went off to war, I knew I needed to take some next steps. I needed a breakthrough in my spiritual life. So I immersed myself in the scriptures more than any other time of my life, and I prayed unceasingly, drew closer to the Lord than ever. Yes, I had grief, missed my daddy terribly, missed my husband Mike while he was gone. But I knew that my Lord God was with me. It became clearer and clearer as I searched the scriptures. And God helped me get through that season 
in my life. And he will for you, too, if you take the right next steps. Don't let your successes go to your head like I have in the past. And Joshua did with the Israelites after Jericho. And also, don't let your failures go to your heart like they did with Joshua and the Israelites when their hearts melted and became like water. That's when your faith falters. So what's your next step today? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. Maybe your next step is to step out from your pew and come to the altar As we close with our closing hymn, God's going to meet you in your pew as well. Maybe your next step is to make some changes in your life. Maybe your next step is to praise God for all his blessings and live each day recognizing it for what it is, a true gift and blessing from God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Lord, take our will and make it thine. In Christ's name we pray, amen.